Uh, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Our passage this morning is actually both chapters. So this morning I have a couple of readers helping me out. Uh, we're going to read both chapters because the Lord's Word never returns void. So the, that's the one thing that's guaranteed to have everlasting effect. So uh, bear with us as we read both chapters, chapter 15 and 16. Go ahead and send my first reader as these young men read for us, starting at John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. But this my Father is glorified, and that you will bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, I will abide in you. Abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This my com- I am in that your love one another, er, and I have loved you. Greater her love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friend. For you are my friend. If you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servant. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. And, and, but that I heard, heard from my father, er, I, I have known to you. You did not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that the fruit or fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask as the Father of my name, he may give you these things I command to you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hates me before it hates you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because as you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the words that I said to you. A servant is not greater than the, his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to him, to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done be among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the world might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify, he will testify of me. 
and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the very beginning. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think, think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled my heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and will get, and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, and because I go to my Father. They said, therefore, What is this that he says, A little while? We do not know what he is saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you, that you will weep and lament, and the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow, because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you... You now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I, do not, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I, came, that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father, and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly, and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things, and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will not leave, and will leave me alone. And yet, 
I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tri- you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen, for that. Much appreciated. Let the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. So, I'm not one much for titles for, for uh, messages, but I actually do have a title for this message. And if you take notes, you can write this down. The title is called, These Things I Have Spoken to You. And I will elaborate why that's the title. Um, but before we do that, I do want to give a little context just to remind us where we are in the Gospel of John. Now, we've been systematically going through this, and we recall that this is what what most scholars call the upper room ministry. It's this very short number of hours before Jesus actually gets arrested and is judged and and is goes before the court and is crucified and dies and, and rises again. So he has this very uh, narrow amount of time with his disciples. And so I, I want to remind you of these things. So if you turn a couple pages over in chapter 13, we, re- we learned this about a couple weeks ago. In verse 1 it says, Now after the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had, had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so... The, the the individual can take a look at this and say, okay, well, listen, if the Lord was about to leave in a couple hours, what he's about to say has a great importance, doesn't it? If I had a terminal illness and I was, I was only given but a week to live, I would want to spend that week doing the best I can to relay all that I can to my wife and to my children, wouldn't it be? And everything I would say would be a, a sum of my experience, a sum of my wisdom, as it were, if I have any wisdom. But it holds some weightiness, doesn't it? Now, Jesus is not me. Jesus is the Son of God. He is wisdom incarnate. So when He set out to prepare His disciples in that room for what was about to come, we need to stop and we need to listen, and we need to pay attention. Second point of context. In chapter 14, as a brother, uh, we, we ended last week, we see a marker there. At the end of chapter 14, we read, verse 31, it says, uh, But that the world may know that, that I love uh, the Father, and the Father gave me commandments. And he says, So I do. And then he commands those who are in the room, Arise, let us go from here. Right, so remember that this all was happening in the upper room. This was happening during, right after the Passover. It was it was a nice, quiet, warm room where they all were gathered together. And at this moment, the Lord says, "Okay, it's time for us to move on. We're getting up and we're going." Now, there is some uh, discussion as to where exactly these next two chapters or next three chapters occurred. Did they occur as they were? Well, they had to occur between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I'll be honest with you, I would struggle with the fact that the Lord had all this very deep and very, very, very difficult teaching for His disciples as they were all walking through the, through the streets of Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley, up to the Garden of Gethsemane. I would post to you that when He said, Arise, let us go, it's more like, hey, let, let's, let's, start, let's start getting ready because we need to go. And like all things, if you ever go at my house and say, okay, it's, it's too late, we got to go. Ask Jen, she was at our house last night. She ended up leaving till, till one in the morning. 
Because we kept saying, she's got to go, she's got to go, but we keep on talking. And so I, I, th- that's just my interpretation of it. We're not going to draw lines in the sand over it, but I, I believe the Lord is, is getting them ready to get up and we're going to go outside. But he then spends this concerted time of these three chapters giving these final lessons, right? Remember, he's, he's preparing his disciples for what is to come. And so both chapter 15 and 16 are crucial in his teaching. And then 17 is his priestly prayer for just for his disciples and for the church and all, all the disciples that were to come. So this is a very important portion of, of scripture. Now, um, both 16 and 15 are lumped together, obviously because this is teaching, 17 is a prayer. So our, our lot this morning is a lot of verses and a lot of deep verses. So uh, my goal this morning is to kind of give you some highlights, and I, I pray that you come back tonight and get with your small groups and discuss some of these wonderful, wonderful verses that are here, the promises for the believer to encourage, to build, and to help us in our walk with the Lord. Now, concerning my title, um, I, I, am, I am not one that thinks very organized, I should say, but the, the Lord helped me with this, and in fact, my wife helped me as well. But we have three instances in these two chapters where the Lord says, I have spoken these things that... The Lord is saying to the disciple, I am saying these things that... So I'll give you the first example. If you look down in chapter 15, verse 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So I, I, I want to tell you right now that from chapter 15 all the way to uh, chapter 15, verse 1 to verse 17, we have this section in which the Lord says, listen, I am telling you these things in this section for the sole reason that my joy may be in you and that it may be what? It may be full. So we're going to take a close attention to that section. The, the next, uh, the next uh, uh, statement is found in chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord says, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. Okay, and so I, I, will, I will post to you that from chapter 15, verses 18, all the way through to chapter 16, all the way to verse 4, we have this section in which the Lord is telling them, listen, I'm telling you these things so that when these things happen, you don't stumble, you don't stumble and fall in your walk. Very important. And then the last section is, is uh, verses 6, chapter 16, uh, chapter 16, verse 5, all the way through the end, and the last statement we find is in verse 33. Verse 33, chapter 16, if you look down, you'll see what it says. It says, These things I have spoken to you, now this one's a little longer, that you, uh, I'm sorry, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And I will post to you that this last statement that the Lord gives, this last discourse that the Lord gives to His disciples is a summary statement. For if we look at the two previous ones, when he's concerning his joy, we're going to see the joy that, that, that is in the Lord through our union with, the, with our Lord and the Father. The next section is concerning the ability of, or, or the preparation for us not to stumble, is concerning what is going to happen to believers upon this earth, and we'll see that. But when it comes to the third section... It's a little more than that. I think it's a summary statement. We have that in these things, uh, these things I've spoken to you. Now, now pay attention. That in me you may have peace. I think is referring back to the first section that you may have joy. And this is in this world you will have tribulation. Speaking of the second section, 
speaking of what will cause you not to stumble or, or to stumble. And then the last section, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world, is referring to this last section of chapter 6. Hopefully that wasn't too confusing. But that's our outline for this morning. And with the Lord's help, I'm going to hit these three sections just in highlights. Okay, We're not going to go verse by verse because, uh, as you guys know me, we will be here until Tuesday. Uh, there, there is, there is. I'll be honest with you. There is an encyclopedia of, of of information in these two chapters. So, beginning with our first section, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. We have this section of chapter fifteen, verses one through uh, verse seventeen, and we start off with a parable. Now. The parable is not too hard to understand. Um, we can very easily go down a couple verses and figure out what the parable stands for, right? We have this this first statement, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. So we know for the fact, right, up, right within the first verse, that Jesus is referring himself as the true vine. His father, or the, the heavenly father, he is the vine dresser, he's the farmer, he's the one who tends to the to the vineyard. If you skip down to verse 5, we have the next clear statement. I am the vine, Jesus is again saying. You, speaking to, who's he talking to, by the way? I meant to cover that in the context. Who's with him? Who's with the Lord right now? His disciples. All the disciples? No. The 11 disciples. Who, Who is left? Judas. Thank you. So he's speaking to his disciples. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. So here's the parable. We're going to be talking about a, a, a vine. We're going to be talking about the branches of the vine, and we're going to talk about vine dressers, uh, or, or the, the farmer who tends to the vine. And we're going to look at the relationship between these three personalities. Okay, So, just to give you a simple outline of this parable, in verses 1 through 4, we have the relationship of the father, the vine dresser, the farmer, to the branches and his ministry. Verses 5 through 8 we have the relationship of the vine to the branches. Okay? Track with me. And then verses 9 all the way through verse 12, actually you can go through verse 17, you have the example of the vine being the prototype for the branch. Okay? I don't know if anybody's taking notes, but I know that's a lot. That's our outline. Now, let's get into the, the actual parable. Here we have this parable of a vine and the branches and, and the vine dresser. The first thing I want to say, and I want you, I want to, I want you to look down at, is the Lord says, I am the true vine. Now that's important. He could have said, I am the vine. It would have made sense. We all would have gotten the parable. But he, he very specifically puts in the word true vine. And we have to pause and ask ourselves, why did he say true vine? Well, for that, we would have to do a, a little digging in the Old Testament. We're not going to go into it, but I would encourage you, if you would turn to passages like Isaiah chapter 5, the Lord describes the nation of Israel as his choice vine. And you have exactly the same parallels that we have here. You have the Lord being the owner of this vineyard, picking out the choicest vine, which he called Israel. And he says he, he dug up the earth around it, he put up a fence, he built a tower, he built a wine press. And the Lord says to the nation of Israel, I expected fruit from you, he says. 
And I, he said, I got nothing but wild, bitter grapes, rotten grapes. He says, I looked for, I looked in you for righteousness and found oppression. I, I looked for justice and found the crying of the victims. Now, all this in Isaiah chapter 5, and Isaiah chapter 5 is not the only place which God refers to Israel as a vine. He refers to him in both the Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Hosea. Many different places he refers to Israel as his choice vine. And the point of all this parable, beginning in the Old Testament and now, is that the picture of this vine is a picture of the testimony of God upon this earth. You see, Israel was meant to be God's light and God's testimony upon the earth. If anybody in the known earth back in the old days of, let's say, day King David, were saying, where can I find the one true God? Where would everybody point them to? Go to Israel. And go, more specifically, go to a place, this place called Jerusalem. They have a temple there. They have a, a tabernacle there where supposedly this one true God lives. And they were supposed to be this example to the world of the character of God. Now, the nation as a whole failed, did it not? They, they, they failed miserably. The, the Lord in, in the days of Isaiah would cry with them, Hey, listen, you, you're, you're supposed to produce justice and righteousness, but I'm getting oppression and injustice for the weak. When you're supposed to be producing good fruit, you're producing rotten fruit. And so when the Lord says here, listen, I am the true vine. I guarantee you every single disciple knew what he was referring to. You see, the problem with with, with Israel being the vine, being the, the source of the testimony, is that Israel, like you and I, are what? Flawed. We're selfish. We're sinful people. And so here the Lord is beginning a new thing. He's saying now, listen, I am the vine. And let me tell you, that 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 should be a great comfort to you. That should be an immense comfort to you. For I tell you, if we were to take the place of Israel, if the church of today was to be the vine, the, the, the one who's supposed to be the testimony, and it's upon our keeping of the laws and our keeping of God's will, that's going to present God to this world, I tell you we're doomed. I tell you we're going to fail. But we're not the vine, are we? Jesus. He is the vine. Next, we have the father. My father is the vine dresser or the husbandman or the farmer. You know, we look at this parable. It's it's a wonderful and hopeful thing to consider. The way God instituted His covenant in the New Testament. It relies upon Christ and the work of Christ and the work of Christ in you. And the work of the Father. From the outside. Disciplining. Pruning. Cleaning. Refining. You have both Christ within. And you have the Father from without. Working in the lives of believers today. He didn't leave much for you and I to do. As branches, we we, we have a relatively simple job. You are the branches. He says twice in this parable, he says, listen, you can do nothing without me. 
Abide in me and I in you. For you can do nothing without me. I, I, I repeat it. You can do nothing without Christ. So when, you, when we're talking about uh, this, this culture in this country, in the world where, where people think, listen, you can get to God whatever way you want. Whatever your truth is, as long as you're, you're true to yourself, you can find fulfillment in life. That's no different than, than, than taking a branch off a tree and throwing it on the ground and saying, go ahead, grow. It, it may look good for a while. It may stay green. It may look like it's actually alive. But what would, what's going to happen to it? It's going to wither away. It's going to die. It's going to then eventually be just thrown out. Praise be to God that it, it, it is, it's up to the the Father and the Son, to see the work through. Philippians chapter 1 says, He who begun a work, a good work in you, will what? Will complete it. Will complete it. It's God doing the work in you. It's God doing the work in me. It's not up to me to sanctify myself. It's not up to me to better myself. For if I did it on my own strength, I can do nothing. Now, Let's get into some of the details as uh, the clock is against us. Now, we do have to address one issue here. Verses 2 and verses 6 are, tend to be kind of controversial verses, right? We have, we have the vine, we have the vine dresser, we are the branches, right? And here we have, we're talking to a group of believers here, and we have two verses here that, that kind of get stuck with people. In verse 2 it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he being the Father takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And then in verse 6 it says, If anyone, speaking of branches, does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So, we understand the parable at this point. The vine is Christ. We are the branches sprouting off of the vine. The Father is the husbandman tending to the branches. How do we explain verse 2 and verse 6? Now, before I get too much into it, I, first of all, we need to be absolutely clear what it does not mean. Are those verses saying that somebody who was born again, who is, who is a, a bought with the price of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, can he or she lose his salvation? The answer is absolutely not. Our, our salvation is sure and true. Uh, we have multiple, even in this gospel, uh, John chapter 3 verse 16, verse 36, chapter 5 verse 24, chapter 10 verses 28 and 29, Romans chapter 8 verse 1, and I can go on and on concerning verses about the eternal security of the believer, the true believer I should say. So are these verses talking about a, a believer losing his salvation? The answer is absolutely not because it goes against so many other verses in the scriptures. So what does it mean? Well, there's two prevailing uh, interpretations of these verses. And uh, they're, they're both held by very good scholars on either side. And I, I will tell you what I towards, lean towards, but that's what I've come to in my own studies. And I would pose to you that you should study the Word of God and let the Lord kind of show you. But the reality is that we may not know exactly what the Lord meant about these two verses until we get to heaven. And that's okay, because it doesn't change 
anything about the character of God. Now, these are the two views, and I'll try to move quickly here. The first view is that these branches are all believers. Now, you say, well, how does that work? Well, there's a very good explanation for this, right? So, those who hold to that view would say that in every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Speaking of the Father. Now, what they would say is, and it's true, if we look at that verse uh, in the verse, the phrase that says, take away, right? It's the Greek word, arios. Now, the word Greek word, arios, can mean to remove, to take away, but you know what else it can mean? It can mean, mean to lift up. And that word is used in different places in the New Testament, both to lift up and to remove. So, like in Matthew chapter 9, it says that the crowd picked up stones to stone Jesus. That word, to pick up stones, is the same word, arios. And so, those who hold to this view would say, what, the, what it's talking about, the Father's saying, He's looking at the vine, He's looking at the branches, and those who don't bear any fruit, He's going to then pick up and put it in a more favorable place. And, 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 and that is true to an extent, right? Uh, uh, one of the practices in, in uh, uh, viviculture, which is what, 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 what it's called, those who take care of uh, vineyards, is to take the branches that are hanging too low and they're laying on the dirt. And when it rains, the mud covers them up. And they're not getting sufficient sun. They're not getting sufficient uh, nutrients. And so the, the, the practice is to lift up these branches off the ground, whether with stones or with, with trellis, to, so that they would get the, the air and the sun that needs to produce fruit. And that, that makes sense, right? That does make sense. And so if we're, we're saying that verse 2 is concerning believers because the Father is going to take those who have fruit and, and prune them so that they would produce more fruit. And those who have no fruit, the Father is going to lift them up so that they could produce fruit. We can see that. That does make sense in Scripture. Now, the, the problem with that view that we run into is in verse chapter, verse 6. What does it mean that if any branch does not abide in me, he is cast out, withers away, is then picked up and thrown, and they, they, they pick it up and throw it into the, into, into the fire and is burned. And so w- one, of the, one of the main interpretations for that would be that it is a believer, and when it's referring to, to the, those who are taken away or, 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 or pull themselves away from the, from the vine, are those believers who have fallen into sin, and their testimony is destroyed, and, and when it says they, they would say men or the world themselves would take these Christians and their testimonies are gone and, and their words have no effect and they disqualified themselves from the work of God. And, it, and that does make sense. Uh, but I, I would tend to tell you that I, I'm kind of leaning on the other side. And I tell you this because even in my own questions, I, I put the questions together for the small groups tonight. When I first started studying this, that, that's where I understood it. But as I studied it more, I, I believe I've changed my mind. That doesn't mean you have to change your mind. I would say, search the scriptures and church it up. I believe both chapter, verse 2 and verse 6 is talking about unbelievers. Unbelievers. And you say, well, there's some problems with that. Yeah, there, there's some problems with that, but I don't think they're insurmountable problems. Let's look at it. If we said the branches in verse 2 and the branches in verse 6 were unbelievers, let's look at it. It says, every man that is in me, Christ, that does not bear fruit, he takes away, speaking the Father. Now, can we say that an unbeliever, one that is not born again, can they abide in Christ? 
No. If we take the definition of what Paul uses as being in Christ, or John uses in his epistle about being or having the Son or being in Christ, that, that would not work, right? Those who are in Christ have eternal life. Those who are in Christ are made sons and daughters. I understand that. But we're looking at the parable in a very narrow sense. What do I mean by that? Look at a bunch of other parables that the Lord uses. For example, the parable of the wheat and the tares. You have the field that this man cast all these seeds in. And his enemies come in by night and they cast tares in there. And both you have in this testimony, in this parable, you have both the wheat growing together with the tares. That's just one example. The, 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 other, the other example I can give you is, is the farmer who, who casts feed in, uh, a seed in his, in his field and it falls on different soils, doesn't it? There's those that fall in stony soil. There's those who fall in shallow soil. Those who, who fall in good soil and those who fall in hard soil. Doesn't one of those sprout up and they're, they're, they're overjoyed by it? But there is no root. So it, it's not uncommon for in the scripture, the Lord pairing both true believers with imposters or, or, or professing believers that are not believers. So I pose to you, when it says, listen, this branch, it says, the Lord says here, it bears no fruit. Zero. Now, I can point you to the book of James, don't you, can I? James says, hey, listen, you're a believer. You're a Christian. You say you're a Christian. Well, he says, listen, you show me your faith by what? By your works. Uh, for, for real faith shows itself by works. If you don't have any works, if you have no evidence of your faith, James would tell you that, guess what? You probably don't have real saving faith. And so I, I, I believe a case can be made for these verses being non-believers. The other thing too, in verse, in verse chapter six, in verse six here, notice that the branches in these verse, verse six, aren't being removed by the Father. It says, if any branch does not abide in me. Do you catch that? It's insinuating that these branches are themselves removing themselves from the living God. Themselves rejecting God himself. The Father doesn't even have to cut off the dead branch. The branch is jumping off himself. So, those are the two main views. It could be believers or it could be non-believers. Guess what? It doesn't change any of the facts that are in here. The vine is still, Christ is still the true vine. His believers are branches, true branches, and they're supposed to produce fruit. And the Father is the one who tends to it. Hopefully that wasn't too confusing. So hopefully that, that gives some clarity to you. It, it helped me out as I, as I studied it for myself. And so let's move on very quickly because we haven't even cracked the first uh, point here. He wrote these things that your joy may be full. And I began to allude to it that the fact that it is the work of Christ in you and the work of the Father from the outside, pruning, cleaning. You know, a, a branch left to itself would produce a lot of green leaves and they would look good. But it's not grapes. It's not fruit. The, the branch will take all the resources that the vine gives it and uses it for whatever he, the branch wants. And it'll sprout leaves everywhere. And so I, I'm told, I'm not, I'm not, a, a, I'm not a, a farmer by any chance, and I, I've never even grown grapes. But I'm told in what I read that when a, when a skilled farmer goes out to prune the vine, 
he hacks away at it. In fact, they would say that when he hacks away at it, you would look at it, you would think he killed it. And he prunes away all those leaves and all those knots that, that impede the resources of the vine getting to the branch to produce grapes so that it would produce more grapes. And I tell you, that's what the Father does to you and I today. He looks upon your heart and he meditates your heart and knows your ways and begins to then work in your life to refine you, to cut back what needs to be cut back, to remove from your life the things that aren't going to help so so that the, the, the resources that are in Christ can flow through you freely. And the, the truth is, we do have a responsibility in this whole parable, don't we? The one, the one command in this whole parable for the branch to do is to abide, to remain, to remain, to abide, to, to stay attached, to stay uh, so connected to the vine that it is all the source of life for the branch. Now, is that true of all believers? No. I mean... The Lord is constantly working with stubborn branches like me. That no matter how much resources the Lord gives me, I quickly get distracted by my own desires and my own wants. I squander the resources, the time He's blessed me with. But He is patient and He and He and He cuts back. And let me tell you, sometimes it hurts. A lot of times it hurts. But in the end, it's for our benefit. In the end, it's for the benefit of, of, of your development and your growth in Him that you may produce the, 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 the fruits of the Spirit. Now, let's move on quickly because we have in verse 9, we have this next section. Uh, we've seen the, the, uh, the relationship of the, of the, of the, of the father to the branch, his ministry of pruning. We have the vine or the branches and its ministry to the vine. And next we have the vine being the pattern for the branch. Now it says in verse nine, it says, as the father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. Now I, I want you, I want to pause and I want you to highlight that verse because I want you to consider this. When we think about love, right? We, we, we love each other. We love our families. We love our children. And as much as we love each other and our families, it still falls short to this example, by the way. Listen, as much as I love my wife, and I pour as much as I know to do my love towards her, she never will in turn take all the love that I give her and give all the love that I give her to someone else. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yes, she, she may be kind to others. She may be giving to others. She may be caring to others. But she's never going to, ex- she's never going to give the amount of love that I would give her. She holds back for herself. Understandably, right? And, and this is how we, we, we function in our world. We, we, we receive love from those whom we love. And we, we, we love some to those who are outside. And we don't willingly just give. But is that Christ? Listen, Christ said, my father loved me. And just as he loved me, I then in turn loved you. Listen, there was no 10% holding back. There was no 1% held back for himself. Everything that the father loved him, he then turned and loved you. His love 
the father's love was never diminished as it went through the son. That's huge. Do we love that way? Do we love so sacrificially? Do we love so selflessly? Do we love so passionately? Do we love so graciously as he does? Lord, help us to do so. Lord, help us to do so. He is the pattern. He is the, the, the way the vine should be. A, a, a basic anatomy of the vine. A vine is nothing but a, a plant that goes into the ground and draws the nutrients from the soil and passes it onto the branches. It doesn't keep much for itself. The branch in turn should do the same thing. Receive the goodness of the vine, God, and pass it on as fruit to the world. And so we have this prototype, the Christ being the pattern for the, the branch. It says in verse 12, this is my commandment. He said, listen, abide in me, abide in my, in me, in my love and abide, I'm sorry, uh, love me as a brother. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abided in his love. So the question is, what are his commandments? This is his commandment, verse 12. It says, uh, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. How does a branch abide? How does a branch remain in the vine? How does a branch stay connected to the living God? Well, it's to mimic Him. To love others. He goes on to say, uh, 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 Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And certainly the Lord did that, did He not? He, He not only laid His life for His friends, He laid His life for His enemies. For you were an enemy of God. Didn't you know that? So we are to mimic that. And, and, and begin to begin to meditate and, and unpack that. Because that, that, that has huge implications. Do we give every breath to others? Do we sacrificially serve others? Do we give of our time, our resources, our, 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 our blessings to others? As he did? Brothers and sisters, I tell you, the Lord blesses me immensely. He funnels an immense amount of blessing my way, and I hold a lot of it back. For my own purposes. But our model, it should be that of Christ. Everything that the Father gave him, everything that the Father loved him with, he loved you and I. He loved you and I. Let's move on to the next point. These things I have spoken to you that you should be, that you should not be made to stumble. One point I do want to back up, I'm sorry. I, I, I do want to highlight this. He, he, he has this section there in the end, I don't want to go into detail, but he, he says, listen, I, I have, I've called you friend. You're no longer a servant, but I have called you a friend. I, I, I have brought you into the inner circle for, for a, a servant, does what the master tells him to do, doesn't question it, doesn't need to know why, he just does it. But no, listen, I'm not treating you as a friend, as a servant, I'm bringing you into the circle. I'm telling you all that the Father gave me, told me, all that the Father gave me, I give to you. I'm, I'm bringing you in. And that, that, listen to me. If you ever have friends that are only your friends because of what you do for them, are they your friends? But a true friend is your friend first, right? And then, if they can help, they will help. 
If they can abide with you, they'll abide with you. There's a difference. Listen, listen. We don't obey Jesus because, well, because we have to. No, I obey him and follow him because I love him, and he loves me. Next point. Things he spoke so that you may not may not stumble. Remember, he's preparing the disciples. He's preparing you, preparing you and I for his departure. And, 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 and he gives us great joy with the unity we have in Christ and in the Father. We have great joy in the fact that it is his work in us and not us. But now he says, listen, I don't want you to stumble because the Christian walk isn't going to be walking on daisies. It, it isn't going to be, I'm saved and all my troubles are gone. No, it's quite the opposite. And he says, hey, listen, remember, the master is not, is not great. I'm sorry, the servant's not greater than the master, he says. Listen, you saw what happened to me. You walked with me. You saw how they treated me. They hated me. They persecuted me. And guess what? They're going to do the same thing to you. Now you say, well, Lord, why are you telling them these things? Are you trying to, to psych them out? Are you trying to get them scared? Well, no. I think he, the Lord's being gracious in his warning, isn't he? Listen to, listen to me. If you turned on the news and said, hey, listen, there's a Category 5 hurricane coming towards you, and it'll be here in two days. What's going to happen? We're all going to freak out. We're all going to go buy bottled waters, and, and, and we're going to go try to get gas, and we can't get any gas. And, and you say, why do you do these to these people? Well, it's a gracious thing to warn people of impending difficulties, isn't it? Because when that hurricane does come, I'm glad that my shutters are up. I'm glad that I have water in case the water does not, not come back on. I'm glad I have gas to run a generator so I can have some, some, some refrigerated food and so forth. And so the Lord here is graciously giving them a warning because, hey, listen, when I go away, all the hate and persecution that was upon me is going to fall on on you. Now you may say, well, Jamel, we live in America. We really don't get persecution. We don't get persecution like they were persecuted. But I I think there is, there's absolutely persecution and hatred for for, for Christians, true Christians today. I mean, listen, you you go to your workplace uh, tomorrow or tomorrow and you go, get everybody together in the break room. Hey, listen, guys, I want to talk to you about Jesus. How's that going to go? Oh, people, this is not the place, brother. This is where we work. You keep that religious stuff out of here. We don't want any of that. But you know, if you got together, everybody, hey, listen, let's get together. I have something to say. Listen, I want to talk to you guys about yoga and meditation. Who's going to be upset? Nobody. The examples can roll on and on. Listen, they hate Christ. The other, the other point I really don't want to skip is, is the correlation between Christ and the Father. He says, listen, they hate me and therefore they hate the Father. He, 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 he's connecting the two. He says, listen, if you hate me, you hate the Father. Listen, the world will say, listen, talk to me about God. Talk to me about God in general, but don't talk to me about Jesus. Listen, you hate Jesus, you hate God the Father. There's no separating them. They are one God. They hated me. They're going to hate you. So don't be don't don't be surprised. Listen, it, it, it happens to me. It happens to me. I, I walk around and all of a sudden I'm, 
why is this happening to me, Lord? Why are these difficult times coming at me? Why, why, why are people, why is there injustice toward me? Lord, I, I, I signed up for your grace, not your judgment. What's going on here, Lord? Lord said, hey, listen, I, I told you it was coming. I, I, I told you there's going to be injustice. I, he, he goes even on to warn them, hey, listen, your very own peers, those who are the synagogue who, 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 who stand on the side of God, they're going to kick you out. They're going to cast you out of the synagogue. They're even going to persecute you, and they're going to kill you. Remember what Saul did? Oh, Saul stand by, by the stoning of Stephen and said, This is God's work. This is so much God's work that I want to do more of it. Now, thank be to God we don't see that kind of persecution here in, in Florida, but or in, in the United States, but it does happen. And God God wants to prepare His His true believers for such a thing. And so He was preparing them. Much, much more can be said uh, concerning this, um, but let's move on to the last point here because we're way out of time. Uh, we have here this last section. These things I've spoken to you. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Uh, remember that last verse is, is encompassing all all both chapters there, and the last section is be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. A, a couple of things now. Wednesday night we we have we have gone through the the, the, the ministries of the Holy Spirit. It was a wonderful study. Uh, so if you weren't here, I'm sorry about that. I am going to highlight some of them. Be of good cheer. Why? Because as the, the sun's going away. Yes, Jesus is physically not, no longer on earth. But he says, but I go and I'm going to send the helper, the paraclete in the, in the Greek. And he's going to come. And he's going to, number one, be in charge of the ministry towards unbelievers. This is very important. He's going to come and he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin because they do not believe in the one whom he sent. You, listen, we're all sinners. I understand that. Every, every, every individual here upon earth is a sinner. But the question is, are you guilty of the sin of unbelief? Listen, many of you have sit here for years upon years, and there may be even one of you who sits here after the word of God is being preached week after week, day after day, and the Lord has called you and the Spirit has convicted you and you are just shrugging it off. Maybe it's not for me. Do you know that's a sin? That's a grave sin. Of sin because you do not believe. Of righteousness because I go to the Father. You don't see me anywhere. I go to the Father. Listen, in Acts chapter in Acts chapter 2 when, when Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, stood up and began to preach to that great crowd. And he preached concerning Jesus Christ. And he preached to them concerning what they'd done with Jesus Christ. And he says, if this Jesus whom you crucified, and God raised him from the dead. Of righteousness, because God, he's no longer here. God brought him out of the grave, and now he sits at the right hand of God to testify that Jesus Christ was righteous. He had no sin, no fault of his own. And God approved of his work and his ministry there on the cross. And of judgment, because he has judged the prince of this world. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, death, where is thy victory? You see, a couple weeks ago, I got to go to a funeral for my wife's grandmother, Betty Beers. Betty was a sweet old lady. And she loved the Lord. And as I look back in my life, 
I've only known her for the last 25 years. And I, I knew her at a very difficult time in her life. I began to date my wife when I was 16 years old. And around the same time, she found out her husband, Bob Beers, had cancer. And it wasn't but a year later that he died and went to be with the Lord. And in that time, I I would go up and visit my wife from time to time, or or my wife-to-be, I should say. And she was always willing to house this punk kid named Jamel in her house. And, and, And we chuckle and we laugh, but never did I ever enter into the fact that this woman had just lost her husband and, and may have been in this moment of mourning, may have been in this, in this moment where she said, you know what, I don't feel like serving somebody. I don't feel like putting up with somebody. But she did it. She did it because she loved her Lord. Never complained. Never once stepped out and said, no, I can't, I just can't. But she served me graciously. And she went home to be with the Lord. And, and, and I, I'm teary-eyed because, yes, there is a loss. We, we don't have her here with us anymore. But there is hope. There is hope. I know that she sits with her Savior. She's, re, she's reunited with her husband. She's where there is no tears. She is where there is no more pain, no more sorrow. Because death has no longer victory over her. Death has no victory over the, over the, the believer today. For the true believer, we can get to the point like Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is truly gain. It's truly gain. Be of good cheer. He sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, first of all, is in charge of the ministry of convicting the world of sin. Listen, that is immense. I I want to bring this back to you and I. Listen, when you go and step out in faith and you open your mouth to share the love of Christ to anyone. Don't be discouraged when they don't pay attention. It's easy. I, I, I do it all the time. I, I can tell you stories of co-workers I, 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 I've, I've preached the gospel to as clear as I could and, and, and showed it to them this way and that way and none of them got saved. It's not your job to save them. It's not my job to convince them. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Much more can be said about that. Lastly, I want to talk about the, the overcoming. Be of good cheer. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit indwells all believers. The Holy Spirit does the work. The Holy Spirit leads you to all truth. There's so much more that can be said about that, but I'm out of time. The last thing about He overcame the world. Last point. It's found in this whole section. You will see me a little while. You will not see me for a little while, and you will see me again a little while for I go with the Father. And you have this whole discourse between the Lord saying this, the disciples saying, oh, what is he talking about a little while? We're not going to see him in a little while. And it's just a whole lot of little while. So you go, what the heck is a little while? Well, the context, is, I think, can be figured out. In the context of the disciples, he was talking about his death on the cross and his burial. And in a little while, in three days, they would see him again. 
And he says, listen, you're going to sorrow. They, 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 they were scared, they, they, they were fearful, and they, 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 they wept for their master. And the world rejoiced. The Pharisees raised their hand in victory. We have overcome the, the, our enemy. We have overcome the one who, who's, who's contested our way of life. But in a little while, God the Father saw fit to raise him from the dead. And they, their sorrow turned to joy. Their sorrow turned to joy. And, and, and we, in faith, can look back and say, yes, he's overcome the world, and there is joy, and there's great cheer because of it. But I believe these words also apply to you and I today. Do you see the Lord today? No, we don't see him. And in a sense, we do have some sorrow that we can't be with the Lord. But you know, there is a day. There is a day in which you will see the Lord. It may be a little while. It may be your whole lifetime. To the Lord is just a little while. Just like Betty, she passed away at the age of 90. She lived a life serving the Lord, waiting a little while to see her Lord. Or maybe the Lord will return today. And that little while will be a little less. And we will get to see our Lord face to face. And we are, we're grateful. We are happy. We're joyous because He has overcome the world. And we can live in Him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly God and Father, we thank You, Lord, for the truths that You have for us here, Lord, in these passages. Lord, I, I, I pray that You, you, you uh, use Your Spirit to refine these words in people's hearts, Lord. Remove what needs to be removed, Lord, and, and Lord, uh, exemplify and add your, your truth in their hearts, Lord. Lord, you, you are a wonderful and generous and gracious God. You've, you've set us up for success. You've set us up and you've given us every tool that we need to abide and to be successful and fruitful in this short life that you've given us. Lord, we're thankful and praise you, Lord. Help us to live lives abiding in you. We live lives that we take every ounce, every, every bit of blessing and energy and resource that you give us and we give it to others. That we may bear fruit and the Father will be glorified by the fruit. Lord, help us to be humbly yielding to the, to the pruning and cleaning hands of the Father. Never, never turning back and crying out, why? Lord, help us in all these things. Lord, I ask all these things in your son's precious name. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.